Heidi Harris Show podcast. I do these a couple of times a week, and I hope you subscribe anywhere you get podcasts. A couple of years ago, I was putting a project together that I ultimately sidelined, but while I was putting this together, I did some really great interviews with some really fascinating people who live in the Vegas area. And one of them, I'll be rolling them out over the next couple of weeks as I found them in my archives. One of them was a man named Don Harton, who is an American hero. He was a pilot, fighter pilot in Vietnam. I don't know many people who've been in two plane crashes in one day. I'm not even making that up. And Don and I had a great conversation. We did this about 2015 and this is 2022. So any references he makes to how many years ago it was, just add seven years to that. Anyway, here's my conversation with a true American hero, Don Harton. Don, welcome to the Heidi Harris Show. Hi, Heidi. How are you doing? Glad to have you. So talk to me a little <laughs> bit about how you got into flight training right when, during Vietnam, right before Vietnam. It was right before Vietnam. Actually, uh, I wanted to be a, fi a, a fighter pilot from the time I was about five. And I realized that's what I wanted to do, so that's what I did. And I uh, worked at it, worked toward it, and they wouldn't let me in uh, while I was in college because you had to have a college degree, so they were going to make me a navigator. I said, no, you're not. I'm going to be a fighter pilot. So I got into uh, the Air Force finally after I got my degree. And... Uh, so I went through pilot training. That was about 1964, something like 63, <clears throat> and then went to uh, guess what we got? Nothing but B-52s in my class. Well, not quite, but uh, we had a lot of B-52s. But I tell you, I loved that airplane. And last week, I got to go back to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base to the Air Force Museum, and they had the 50th anniversary of my crash. And you had it just slightly wrong. It was three planes I wrecked in one car. Oh, that's true. If you consider it, yeah. So we're, so we're going to back that up because you were in two of them. And we'll talk about the third. Yeah. Well, we had a, what happened was uh, when the B-52s went to war, this was called Arclight One. It was 50 years ago last Thursday. That was uh, June 18th, 19, or 1965 was our first combat mission. It really started the Vietnam War. And the fact of the matter is that one mission would have ended the war had we flown it properly, had Lyndon Johnson let us do our job. Now, what was that mission <clears throat> of Arclight 1? Arclight 1 should have been uh, flying over to, we, we landed in Guam. <clears throat> let me go back just a bit. On uh, February 7th, 1965, uh, the Viet Cong attacked Pleiku and killed 28 of our Special Forces people. On February 11th, Lyndon Johnson responded to that and deployed two wings of B-52s with their tankers to Guam and to Kadena in Okinawa. Uh, we landed in Guam with the idea that we are going to destroy the Fukien airfield northwest of Hanoi, and we'll do it by flying over to the coast of North Vietnam, about the DMZ area. There's a little island off there that we were using, Tiger Island, for a checkpoint turn north, go down to 500 feet above the water, turn left at Haiphong, go northwest over Haiphong and right straight over Hanoi with about two, with 30 B-52s at about 200 to 250 feet. That sends a message, doesn't it? That would have got their attention. Sure. A short while later, we'd have popped up and we, we dropped from 1,500 feet. Uh, we were gonna put 1,530 bombs large ones on the Fukien airfield. They would have vaporized the place. So that, that was the plan. That was initially your mission to go out, and you think that would have ended the Vietnam War we, at that we, point? We would have ended it right there, uh, but that would have been, we, that was after we landed in Guam, 12 hours to refuel and load bombs and take off again. Now that was on February 11th, 1965. By the time we'd have dropped it, it had been about February 13th. We got the message while we were getting ready. They said, 
we're on a hold, so uh, delay. So go ahead, go to the club, have a dinner and beer. And so we did, and we waited four and a half months, and then we went out on the Arclight One mission on June 18th. And that was uh, one of the biggest disasters in Air Force history. Now that was the same mission, though, correct? That, that, but four no, months, four months the, delayed, the, same mission. Yeah, well, this the deployment was February 11th, but the real mission was June 18th. And we went out and uh, took off, and our plane was number three in the third cell. B-52s fly, uh, three in a cell, a mile behind and 500 feet above each other uh, in trail. And uh, then they follow. Each cell follows by four minutes. And you were the co-pilot? I was a co-pilot mm -hmm. in Green 3, which was the third plane in the third cell. And we had 30 planes take off, so there were 10 cells of, thir of three each. And we... Uh, got over the South China Sea and just north of the Philippines turned southwest to meet our tankers on the refueling tracks going down the South China Sea and here's where it all fell apart. There was a typhoon in the area, Typhoon Dinah, fourth largest typhoon in the history of the world. The waves, I didn't know it until recently, were about 80 feet high. Wow. They officially said they were uh, 40 feet or something like that, but they were really, uh, by visuals and, and comparisons and things like that, they were about 80 feet high, but that was when we hit. They, they lowered down. So take the deadliest catch and multiply that by about five and oh. you're looking at the waves that you were in, right? Uh, my, I saw a uh, movie of the perfect storm. Oh yeah, right. I saw that and my sister said, was it like that? No, not even close. Was it like that? And then right at the very last last uh, scene you saw this little yellow life raft in this giant wave and I said it was a little bit like kind of like that only worse right <laughs> so you're over the South China Sea the oh, mission is uh, continuing okay well, where did it all go wrong where it went wrong was uh, the the typhoon got us it drug us it sucked us right into that area uh, we were nine minutes early Oh. And what happened was our leader decided to do a 360-degree turn to lose the eight minutes. A standard rate turn in a B-52 is uh, 30 degrees a bank, gives you eight minutes a turn, half of it's four minutes, and it's 25 nautical miles diameter of the circle of turn. And uh, I said, wait a minute. I was out of the seat, went downstairs for a second, and then got back up in the seat. The pilot got out, and I looked out, and this lead plane's doing a left turn. Now, we're above the typhoon. You can see the lightning flashes and everything down there. And he turns to went with him. I said, hey, Radar, what's going on? Are they doing a 360? Because I thought they might. And he said, Roger, doing a 360. I said, the pilot's downstairs. Better send him up. And I, I strapped in. And I mean, I tightened up a lot and uh, checked all my pins and did all that stuff. And then I, uh, pilot got back in the seat and I, I was sitting there cussing under my breath, what the heck are they doing a 360 for, you know, and don't they know that, I, I told this to the radar nav, I said, halfway around is four minutes, These, don't they know if a cell is coming up the, the track south of us, we're going to meet them head on, and he says, Raj, keep your eyeballs open, wait a minute, I'm a brand new kid in SAC, I had just barely made first lieutenant. Yeah, you're 25 years old. Was, yeah, I, I made first lieutenant a week before we deployed, and uh, I knew more about this stuff than the people at SAC headquarters. I'm serious. They just didn't know what they were doing. And, and for uh, people who don't know SAC, that's Strategic Air Command. Strate yeah, Strategic Air Command. Oh, and one more thing. Arclight is the code word for B-52 operations throughout most of the Vietnam War. Uh -huh. 
Young Tiger was the code word for tanker operations throughout the Vietnam okay. War. And we had, that was the Arclight Young Tiger uh, reunion we had at uh, the Air Force Museum last week. You're listening to Don Harton, who went down in a B-52 collision 50 years ago. It's hard to believe it's been that long. And then he was in another plane crash the same day. We're getting to all that. Go ahead. Okay, anyway, so then... Uh, uh, we uh, we did the 360, and the uh, pilot is strapping in, and I'm checking him and checking the plane and keeping my eyeballs open, like the radar said. And I looked up, and uh, somebody said, we got, oh, the radar hollered out, Terry Lowry hollered out and said, we got beacons at four miles and closing fast. By the time he said that, I, of course, looked out, and it's, you know, almost pitch black, but I can see, and there was one light straight ahead of us, and it split into two lights. Oh. And it split into, there were three lights, one up here way high to the left and another one down to the right, and those were three B-52s, but this one had split into two lights and then it was a big gray shape coming straight at me. Now, this all happened in less than two seconds. Oh, I can imagine. And um, the gray shape, I looked and I saw, you could tell a B-52 from any other kind of plane in the world, and this 18,000-pound drop tank is about to hit me in the face. And it's coming right straight at me wow. at 1,100 miles an hour closing speed. Wow. And you're at what altitude? At 30,000. And I'm, I'm sitting there watching this thing, and I went through, honest to God, this isn't about half of a second. I, you know, the five things that you go through, uh, um, you go through disbelief. Right, and, the stages and, and, of death, right? Yeah, there. stages of death. I, I don't believe this. I'm denying it. I'm angry. Oh, I got mad. I was mad so for about three microseconds. Right, because you I mean, knew that this was a screw-up. It shouldn't be uh, happening. I this wasn't my, the enemy. This was something you guys were doing to each other somehow. Yeah. I worked my butt off to get through college and to get through pilot training, and now I'm finally a pilot, and I'm finally on my first mission. I'm going to die right here. And that drop tank came right into the cockpit, and it just slowly slid under the cockpit. And I looked out and I watched that big six-story tail just slowly drift past at 1,100 miles an hour. Wow. That's what happens to the human mind when you uh, when you get into severe danger. It's like slow know, motion, right? It, it, the adrenaline just pumped. Uh, one surge and now I'm living uh, one one second lasts for a minute or so. It was really weird. And I can still live that. Everything about this crash to this day I cannot talk about it. I cannot think about it. All I can do is describe it to people or give a speech about it. And when I do, it's all there, every last bit of right. it. And it was horrible. So, the, so what kind of damage did the other B-52 oh, do to your B-52? Okay, so what happened was uh, this tail is right about even with me, and I, I measured this all later, years later, when I'm walking around a B-52. I'd stand out in front and say, how close was that? And I'd look, and it was 100 feet, say, from the tail to our wingtip. Now, I surmised during this time at 1,100 miles an hour closing speed that uh, if that drop tank was going to hit me in the face, our drop tank is going to hit their tail and knock their tail off and blow our right wing off, or at least knock our right. uh, drop tank off. So you know you're going down no matter what. Well, yeah, I knew this before it hit, and it was all happening in slow motion. And then finally, all of a sudden, there was a crunch. And it was about like hitting a, a large pothole in the road at 30 miles an hour or so. And there was a bump like that, and then a split second later, and I don't know how long, because time was diverted here, and I don't know what time was during this whole episode. And 
There was the biggest explosion. I met a tanker pilot at Wright Path the other day who saw the thing, and he was only a few miles away. Wow, what did he say? And he said, wow, i got to get your book. I want to read what <laughs> I want to see what happened. Yeah, he probably couldn't believe Now, there's six people on each of the B-52s, correct? Yeah. Crews of six. Yeah. All right, so now at what point did you eject? Uh, okay, I'll tell you, that, that, that came after I decided it's time to jettison the airplane. You just know. Oh, oh, one thing I wanted to say, that tanker pilot did say he thought it was a uh, nuclear explosion mm. because the Chinese lit off their bomb, their first nuke bomb, March 19, 1965 at Lok in northwest China. And that's part of what this whole thing was about. And China got the nuke and we let them have it. And we could have taken it out and nobody would have been sad about that. But they got it. So anyway, uh, what happened was we hit. There was this explosion, and it was seen 200 miles away in several different directions. And, I mean, it was a big one. It blew our right wing off. But everything went black in the upstairs compartment because the alternators ran the upstairs from the right wing. We didn't have a right wing. I thought we did. I thought we just blew off the tip end of the wing. And I'm sitting there trying to see the instruments, grabbing the yoke and trying to fly this thing, and I can't see anything. I looked over, and I could finally see the throttles when, it, when my eyes got used to it a little bit, but I couldn't see the pilot or anything. So I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, well, he's still got the airplane. I did not know we were going straight down. Wow, you didn't feel that? Didn't feel anything. Interesting. You, you, don't, you don't feel it, because when you, when you lose your visual references, a pilot will always is trained to go instruments. Look at the instruments, believe them, because you don't know what else is happening. I tried, but I couldn't even see them. From, and I leaned forward. I was not five inches, probably wow. 10 inches from the, uh, from the instruments, and I still couldn't see So you them. can't see instruments. You don't realize you're in a dead oh, we're, we're, dive right we're into the going, ground. We're literally going straight down. Oh, I didn't know that. And we, you could, we, didn't feel that. Was the plane spinning or just going you know, straight down? Our, our right wing blew off, and so we rolled over to the right. Okay. And we went straight down. We knocked their tail off, and they went into a spin. Oof. Now, the pilot on the other plane, the radar nav got out. And he lived through it. But when he ejected, they ejected downward, and he pulled the ring between his legs, and he was leaned over the side like this. And when he pulled, it straightened him up. The pilot, when he pulled, he was upstairs, and he ejected. And when he went through the hatch, it literally tore his arm off. And that's they found him sitting in the life raft, and he was dead. Because of blood loss yeah. and that kind of thing. Ugh. And it was just, uh, it's a horrible situation. And we lost uh, eight guys total. Eight out of 12. Eight out of 12 were killed. Unbelievable. So at what point did you eject? Now you're going oh, straight down. You yeah. don't realize you're going straight down. Well, I, I thought I was going, I was going to try to fly it down to Clark, and I couldn't see which way I was going. You figured you could do it on one wing and a prayer, literally, I, huh? I, I, thought I, would, I thought we'd only lost our right wing. And, you know, the stick was, or the yoke. It was still kind of flopping around there, but anyway, I decided uh, somebody ejected. I think it was my electronic warfare officer. And he ejected, and I said, something goes inside your brain and says, it's time to get rid of this plane. So I sat back, and I, I, I'm ready to eject this. It's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And you know, all this stuff's going through your brain at a, 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 a thousand miles an hour. So I sat back and I rotated, and the left hand rotated, the right one wouldn't rotate. So I squeezed the trigger, and nothing happened. <gasps> and I'm sitting there. Oh ah, no! Fire you, sob! And I couldn't get it to work. So I grabbed the right handle with both hands, and I pulled as hard as I could. 
Somebody said later, they said, if we could find that uh, ejection seat at the bottom of the South China Sea, there'd be finger marks <laughs> pulling it up. Probably. It wouldn't go. And I said, well, that's it. It's right handle, left handle, get rid of the integrated parachute and get rid of the seat kit and get out of the seat, go downstairs and bail out manually. And nobody at that time had ever lived through that. So I looked down here and I said, one last chance. I said, F and I'm looking down with my helmet on and all, and my head's twisted, and I said, fire you, SOB, and bam, it fired, 115 Gs, and I was out of position. Wow. You've seen me click my neck like that? Right. Well, about a year ago, a, a chiropractor here in town, I'm going to say his name, is that okay? Go ahead. Dr. George Ritter fixed my broken neck. After 50 I, years? 49. 49. I, it was a month short of 49 years, he fixed my broken neck. Wow. And I, I, I tell you, it's just changed my life. My atlas vertebrae was twisted and tilted, and just because I ejected with this uh, helmet on and with my neck and down and, and forward and out of position. Now, did you go when you ejected? Did you go up or did you go down no. because you were headed straight down into the water at that yeah, point? Well, we're going, well, actually, I went straight out, 90 degrees. Straight out, okay. But but uh, to me, it was. Uh, I mean, we're flying along at 30,000 feet, and I just right. ejected. And, and so what I did was I got back, and finally, when the thing ejected goes, bam! And I I got my head up kind of like that. I'm twisted and all. Right. But I watched the dash slowly fall all the way and then I watched the hatch come faster and then BAM I was hit in the face with a blast of air and I rolled backwards and I sensed that big tail going by and just as it went by the thing blew up. Wow. And my left leg was this this leg right here. Ow! That hurt. See see that? It was yeah. just your leg, yeah. Yeah, right there. Get on the mic. My left leg was just the calf was mangled with something that blew up and hit it. My wow. left hip was pulled out of joint, and my neck was broken. I didn't oh my know. Gosh! Was. So you eject just like literally a second before the plane oh, blew oh, up. Oh, less than that, probably just half a second or less. Unbelievable. Uh, I, anyway, anyway, so I'm coming down. Uh, the chute popped, and the chute tried to kill me two or three times. Uh, it twisted up, and the, and I finally had to untwist it. Then I. Uh, and it started swinging back and forth, and I finally used the law of conservation of angular momentum. Where did I get that? University well, of it's all training. It's, you know, it's all <laughs> training. Zemanski. Yeah. Well, but, but you get all this thing, and you use everything in your life to figure out what you got to do to save your life. Because I was facing what turned out to be about 60 separate incidents that if I didn't do the right thing right now, I was going to be dead. Yeah. And things like uh, the, uh, I couldn't get release the, the new parachute release things. One, I finally got with both hands, I got it released, but it was still connected to the parachute. Later, it dragged me underwater, and I was way down underwater. I had to cut it, cut it loose with uh, my survival oh, knife. Oh, my gosh. And I got my life raft deflated, and I got up to the top, and I have a knife, a switchblade knife out, because that's how I sliced it. And you can see these slices mm -hmm. along here. And I sliced that thing, got rid of that, Got up to the top, and I, here's the water, and I grabbed my life raft, and it made about the size of a soccer ball. That was what you're holding on to. I've still got my knife open. All i got to do is slip that thing in there, and I'm dead. In swells, so, they're like 50, 60 feet, right? Oh, yeah. And but the thing is, oh, that's, that's the other thing. You know, you come down in the water, and you look, and everything was kind of a turquoise. The plankton was really churned up. The wind was blowing. I hit the water. And I instantly, my brother-in-law held the world speed record for uh, single, single uh, ski, water skiing for about three hours. 
and uh, he held it at Seal Beach. They did it, and he made it a, a little over 100 miles an hour. I beat that. <laughs> <laughs> Hitting that water. I, hit I can't that imagine. Water. Didn't even go in, and uh, I'm scooting along at about 100 miles an hour, and I'm twisting, and I'm, I'm rolling in this parachute. And every time I roll face down, I would swallow about a gallon of water, it seemed like. So I got, finally, I spread my legs, and I got on my back, and I tried to release both these new, brand new release rings, and they were brand new, and they weren't, didn't work. So both, all the strength I had with both hands and the right release, I got it, got it free, and it whipped away, and finally I was free of that. And I got in the life raft, found that I had an Arctic survival kit. <laughs> In the South China Sea in summer. Oh my god. And I gosh. nearly froze to death. The oh. wind was so strong. Oh my gosh. The wind was blowing, I don't know, well, about 100 knots or maybe more. And uh, it, it was just such a wind chill. But the thing is, I go down in these waves. I mean, you're really down there. And about 10 seconds later, you're up at the top. And one time I came up and I looked, and there's a black and orange ship. And it's churning along in these waves, and it's doing the same thing I'm doing, wow. up and down and bouncing around. And I thought, oh boy, this, I don't know how they're out in this crazy stuff. And then I came up, and you'd only see things for about three or four seconds at the top of a wave. And then you'd be down in, a, in this wow. bathtub of waves about 80 feet deep. And I come up, and I look, and I could not believe it, but there, this orange and black ship was about to run right into the side of a big, beautiful white ocean liner. I said right there, I am hallucinating. None of this is real. I'm dreaming. I'm going to wake up. I went down. I came up and I looked again and I saw some flares go off in front of this white ship. And that was Jim Herbs. We pieced, pieced out later my electronic warfare officer. So he had the flares that were able to work and get you yeah, to save you guys. No, I didn't. They, they nearly ran over him. They didn't see it. Nobody was looking. Everybody was batting down for this hurricane, this typhoon. Right. Nobody wanted to be out. Now. It could sweep you off the off the deck and you'd be gone. Oh, I'm sure. Speaking with Don Harton 50 years ago, he would crash in the South China Sea. He and another B-52 hit each other. Twelve people went in the water. Only four of them survived. He was one of the survivors. So you're in this water. How long were you in the water before you were rescued? About five hours. And who finally found you? The, a little SA-16 uh, Albatross Sea. Plane. Now, how yeah. did they find you? Because you well, said that, the flares weren't working. Well, that, nothing worked. I didn't have a radio. I didn't have a flare. I didn't have anything. What happened was uh, the tankers came down. There was two, two spare tankers. They came down. They had the gas to fly around. And oh, because they were looking for you because they realized oh, there had been a collision. At oh, least you had oh, that going for you. The whole world was looking I'm for sure. us this time. Right. So tankers went across. And I, this one tanker, Eric Helberg was his name. He was one of our local guys from Sacramento from Mather Air Force Base. And he saw me, and I saw him bend it around, and he came out in a teardrop pattern and went out to the southeast, and he turned around, and he came back in from the east, and he's coming right almost at me, and I see these people standing up above the wing in this great big doorway, and they threw this thing out, and it popped out, and it was a great big round 20-man life raft, and it went flip, flip, and that's all I saw, but I went down into a wave, and it hit and it apparently hit the top, and we were out of sync the whole time. Oh, that's funny. Eric asked me later, he said, why didn't you just swim over to it? I said, I never saw it. Never saw it once. It was out of phase with me in the waves wow. the whole time, and uh, that was just one of those things. But they had at that time. He said it was really hard to spot us. The yellow life raft didn't show up that well, so we changed the color and made it a bright orange. And we changed a whole bunch of things in that life raft 
and it's my life raft. Oh, sure. And it was adopted by the U.S. Air Force well, and you the know U.S. What? Navy, and, and, and we right. invented it. Well, when you get, whenever you get into any kind of a fighter plane, I've been in a couple of them, but not, not anywhere near as many as you have, every little button in there, I look and say to myself, somebody so, either had some kind of problem, that's why we have all of this, and all this extra equipment, and all these fail-safes, and all that kind of stuff. Actually, what you do is you go through academics for weeks, months, Beforehand, you go through every little panel. You study what every little right. button is going to do, and when you press it this way, the problem is, it's when you have like the weapons panel. You press one button, and it changes the mode, and you turn the mode of this button over, or this knob over here, and you got seven different. Settings. I couldn't do it. I couldn't be a fighter it's, pilot. It just, it just, you got to feel it, right. and that's what it's all about. Yeah. And rockets. I was top in my class in rockets out at Indian Springs when we fired them, and I, I had rockets down pat. <laughs> and I got over to Vietnam, and I couldn't hit my rear with either hand with a rocket. Isn't that <laughs> fun? That's just, so funny. So the sea couldn't do a thing. So the seaplane comes to pick you up. Yep. And yep. you finally get in the seaplane, even though you're oh, missing yeah. the raft. They finally get you. What is it? That's got to be unbelievable. You're in the water for five uh, hours. You're not sure well, you're going to live. Does anybody know where I am? Then I, a seaplane shows up. That's just got to be an incredible feeling that comes over uh, you that, hey, help us here. When, when I saw that thing, and it was, uh, I heard this. <laughs> And I looked around and I couldn't see it. The waves had died down quite a bit. Uh -huh. It had landed when it hit. It uh, cracked its hull. It landed in about 15 foot waves because the typhoon had passed by this time, or mostly passed. So it hit and it cracked its hull and it was filling with water. And uh, you know, uh, basically, it's got this great big bladder on the bottom right. of the plane. That's mm -hmm. what a seaplane is. That's supposed and, to have air in it, not water. Yeah, not water. <laughs> and when it gets water in it, it tends to sink. It's a bad thing. Yes. <laughs> so we uh, anyway, I, he taxied over to me, and by this time I was, like I said, I was hallucinating earlier. By now I was full crazy. And you've been in that water. How warm was that water that it time was, of year? Uh, not too bad, but I was freezing to death. It was just, it was. Uh, just cold. Yeah. But it was windy. That was why what was doing. But uh, anyway, they, they came over and he turned around and he backed up toward me. He put the propellers in reverse and he was backing up toward me. And here come this propeller. And it's right there. I mean, not five feet from me. You're going to chop me into fish bait. <laughs> After that. all this? After now you're going to chop me up. And That's mother, funny. There's a pontoon right here. <laughs> And I uh, and it's got a little tie-down ring on the back of it, and I just reached over and I grabbed a hold of that. And I'm in my life raft, so I blew that thing back up, and right. I, I battened it down. <laughs> I grabbed a hold of that tie-down ring of the SA, and I'm sitting there like this, and suddenly, and this is weird, suddenly this Neptune, this god Neptune of the sea, mm -hmm. pops up right in front of me. And I'm sitting there looking at him, and he's not two feet from me, and I say, what are you doing here? And he says, Lieutenant, let go. I said, no. See that propeller? They're going to chop us up, both of us. You don't want that. And he says, no, no. And I said, I, call, I may have called him Neptune, but I was crazy. And he looked at me. He says, Lieutenant, see that door back there? There's a door back there. Oh, oh. He says, I'll pull you over to it, and these people will grab you and put you in. Oh, okay. So who was speaking? Were you hallucinating, that, or was that somebody that, actually talking to you? That was actually a prayer jumper. It was a PJ, which okay. is an Air Force SEAL. So you thought he was Neptune, but it didn't matter. He was somebody there to give yeah. you the right directions. And Air Force SEALs, by the way, are, uh, are Air, the, the PJs, we call them, are uh, SEAL trained, fully trained as SEALs, but also with medical uh, attention because they're rescue people for the Air Force okay. and the Navy. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he pulled me. They pulled me in there. They took off my flight suit, all, and they, they 
here I am in just my shorts, and they cut a Mae West in half and tied me down and wrapped me in a blanket and tied me down in a seat and said, here, barf into this. You don't know what seasick is until you've been out in something like I that. I can't imagine. And then sucking up a lot of salt water, which is not uh, good for you, whether you uh, want to or not. Well, I, I got rid of that salt water rather quickly. I'm sure. I mean, it was just barf city for hours. Hmm. And this went on for three days. Wow. Uh, they got us aboard the Navy ship. They, well, oh, wait, wait, wait. You left something out. Yeah, we, you we, left we, something uh, out. So the seaplane <laughs> takes off. You think things are going to be good now. Oh, I'm happy as a clown. Oh, yeah, happy. Yeah. Rescue, isn't bam, this great? We hit these waves, bam, and bam, we bounce airborne and we get airborne about 100, 150 feet, and the right wing drops and we go straight down. This is a bad day for right wings with you. <laughs> it was. Oh my gosh, so that plane crashed. Bam, it, it hit the water, and you know, it was a worse uh, impact than the B 52 meter between the two B 52s. But uh, so we hit the water and bounced back, and now we're floating around and bouncing up and down. And uh, so nobody was hurt that time, second no, time. No, no, nobody got hurt. Okay, but we were all strapped in. It, didn't, it wasn't that bad. Right, but the plane was not going to was not operable well, anymore at that point. I looked out and saw the right propeller, and it looked like if you take your fingers and do that. You like know, make a little claw, I kind of look like a little bent. Yeah, they're uh, all bent up. That's the end of that, like a little uh, spider or something. We're, we're going nowhere. Right. So I looked out the left porthole, and right there was an orange and black ship that I'd seen earlier. And they were sending over a canoe that's about two feet, two and a half feet wide, and it was about 30 feet long. Wow. And it, this was their lifeboat. And who, who was the, in the orange and black ship? That was a Norwegian freighter, the Argo. Wow. And they came over, and they... Put us in there, and uh, I, I jumped into the. I didn't jump in. I kind of. They poured you in. My right. underwear, and I got into that thing, and I looked back at the PJ, and I says, they, "I said, isn't Captain Robertson coming?" And he looked at me, and he said, "No, Captain Robertson's dead. Mm -hmm. He was sitting in the IPG in the instructor pilot jump seat up in the front, and I thought he was just." sitting there fine looking for pilots. He's the guy that hit his arm going through the hatch and mm -hmm. tore it that off. That was your pilot? No, that was, that the, was the other, other plane. Pilot. Now, what happened to your pilot? Uh, never heard. He, oh, you never did? Because you were the co-pilot. You never I heard a word about never, it. Never. Uh, we, we lost my gunner. Mm -hmm. I gave him an oxygen check right before we had an impact, right before we did a turn. Mm -hmm. And I woke him up. I even You, you tap the rudders on a B-52 and it knocks the gunner around a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that woke him up. He was always mad at me for waking him up. <laughs> that time I woke him up, I said, guns, we're going into refueling now. Give me an oxygen check. And so he, he gave me one. And so the 12 people I think who he were... went back to sleep, and if he laid down, mm -hmm. he couldn't get out of the plane. Because when they do that, they, they pull a handle here and pull it back, and the whole tail end of the gun, gun turret and everything else falls off. I see. And they just fall forward, and they fall out of the B-52 okay. tail. So of the 12 people, how many did they recover? Four survived. Uh, five of us were recovered, four alive, one dead, and eight or seven total missing. They never found them. Found. What a terrible... But, and you'd worked with these guys, you trained with these guys. Trained. We lived, ate, slept, did everything together for, for well, the whole time I was in SAC. And that's what a SAC crew was. You, you lived together. You were far, far, far closer to your guys in your crew than you were to your own wife. What's that like when you, when you lose, bad enough to lose somebody, and then you think, well, why them and not me? That has to be, it, it doesn't it's, make sense, It's called it? survivor's right, game. Right, I've heard I've of it. I've had it from that day to this, and it mm -hmm. took me, well, it took me about 45 years to begin to understand it. The VA, of course, says I was never in a crash. 
And this, this is what just... Why do they say that? Because, because the enemy didn't attack you? Because I applied for it as soon as I retired. Mm -hmm. I said, hey, I've got problems all over the body. Mm -hmm. And they won't, they didn't want to help me out. And then after years, 38 years, I kept applying. I finally got a little bit of compensation for post-traumatic stress, nothing for injuries. Mm -hmm. I paid for, uh, I probably put out $125,000 easy for my own injuries. And they, they say, well, we don't want to pay that. I know this is why. They don't want to pay it because they're going to have to pay me a million dollars from clear back when I first applied mm -hmm. in, like, whatever, 1988 or something mm -hmm. like that until now. They've got to pay me for that because they're supposed to, but they don't want to. So we'll save money and give ourselves great salaries, so that's what they do. That's unbelievable. So now how much recovery time did it take? You, you, your leg was mangled, your, your uh, neck was broken. It was. I didn't know my neck was broken, but I was complaining about it constantly, and they said, well, you ejected, that's going to happen, and they did, did no treatment whatsoever. I went home, and my dad took me to our family doctor, who was a medical doctor and a chiropractor and an osteopath, and he said, bam, bam, click, click, clack, clack, mm -hmm. and he corrected it somewhat, but he says, you're going to have problems with this all your life. Mm -hmm. And I did until about uh, about a year ago. Until that, that, that chiropractor. Now, how soon till you were able, because you flew a lot more missions oh, after oh, that. Yeah, it, it took about, what I had to do is get my left leg, and it's still a problem, mm -hmm. but uh, I wasn't going to let him ground me just because my left leg hurt my left hip hurt plus it's wartime right so you get a better besides, shot of going back besides i go crack 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 crack, crack <laughs> on my neck i gotta tell you this one thing i was flying an f-111 over northern england one night with a young lieutenant i think i was a major then and we're flying along and i you know you get you get your back you gotta stretch you gotta do all this stuff so i go crack 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 <laughs> and i look over and this kid with his helmet on i can see his eyeballs from out that's like funny saucers looking at me saying this guy's trying to break his neck and i don't know how to fly this snap crackle pop so fast forward how much longer did you fly in vietnam well i went back and flew another b-52 tour which took uh, about I don't know, it was about a six-month tour, and I, uh, I got 30 missions there. So I got 30 and a half missions in a uh, B-52. Then I came back, and I had a problem with my ex-wife, so I divorced her and, and uh, came here to Las Vegas to Nellis and checked out an F-105s, and I went over there, and they were going to send me back to SAC. I wasn't going to let them do it. I was going to get more F-105 time in combat than anybody. So they wouldn't let me extend because a guy got killed on his 198th mission. Mm. Carl, Carl Richter, they named the Air Force Academy lounge at for him. <clears throat> but so uh, I, I tried to extend, and they says you can't go for 200 missions. Why not? So I quit logging them as counters. We had counters. If you went into North Vietnam, there were a counter. If you didn't, there were a non-counter. So I didn't count them. <laughs> that's funny. All we know is you did hundreds of them. That's all we know. So I got 100. I, I only found out recently that I had 100. It's either 161 or 164. There's 165 actual bomb drop missions in North Vietnam. And then I got uh, 30 in uh, the F-111 at the very end of the war. That's incredible. And you retired when? Oh, I don't remember. A long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to tell you, Don, you're a hero. I mean, you no, really are. No, no, You've no. been through more than I, I can know, even imagine. I know more heroes than most people. And I know what it takes to be a hero. And I'm not a hero. Well, I'm a survivor. Yeah, okay. The people who've actually done something are never the ones to brag about. Have you noticed that in life? 
So that was Don Hart, and his book is called Arc Light One, A-R-C, Arc Light One. So pick it up if you're an aficionado of that type of thing. This interview was conducted in 2015, so when he refers to 50 years ago, he's talking about about seven years ago when I initially conducted that interview. Here's a fun Don Harton story. I used to see him at the dog park all the time, and he had this little black dachshund mix. I don't know what it was. It was black, and it was short, and he was long-haired, and he was kind of cute. And I actually named him. I said, you know, that dog looks like a Winston, because Don has a lot of rescue dogs. And he said, I love that name, and it's stuck for Winston's entire life. Great stuff. Don't forget, you can find me Sunday nights in St. Louis at 97.1 FM Talk, 7 to 9 p.m. in St. Louis for my live radio show. And you can also find all the stuff that I do, podcasts, videos I do daily, all of that at HeidiHarris.com. Until we meet again, remember, you were created for a purpose. Here's Tony Scottwell.